others, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell, and today we are wishing you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays for this holiday episode of Cult Fiction as we pull over the holiday crypt and watch and review The Christmas Prince. Complete makeover. What are you waiting for? Which we watched in September. Which we watched in September, which we watched the day the Queen of England died. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was really weird watching a royal movie yes. the day that the most famous monarch in our time had kicked the bucket. Oh yeah, and also a, a, a particularly interesting kind of whiplash to go from The Crown the Netflix show about, like, the opulence and cult of personality regarding the British monarchy to a Christmas prince. The Christmas prince. A Christmas prince. A Christmas prince? A Christmas prince. I'm, oh, I'm I looking have the at it article. on IMDb. Okay. Well, my apologies then. A movie where they clearly rented a five-star hotel in Romania. It's actually a castle in Romania. Oh. It really looks like a five-star hotel. <laughs> like, like, okay, I believe you with the exteriors of everything, but inside the, the, the shooting location, everything just screamed hotel to me with, like what was clearly corporate ballrooms and like those extra long hallways that intermittently have a table every couple of feet. No, it's a, it's a castle. Well, here we are. And here we find ourselves. <laughs> but there's a lot in this movie where you're like, oh, you just went for the cheap option. Like there are two actors who very much like don't leave one setting. Yeah. And most of the movie, you're like, oh, you're just doing a Zoom call. Okay. Yeah, our leads um, friends who are her journalism buddies very clearly spent, like, a day shooting in the office set and then, like, five seconds in an exterior shot. And that was what they did for the day. <laughs> and they're, like, the fifth and sixth build characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. This movie opens with CGI snowflakes over, like, footage of New York. Not New York in the winter. New York with CGI snowflakes swirling around. <laughs> and then famously, the Chicago flag flying <laughs> off of one of the buildings. Right, okay. So, wait, oh my god, wait, is it supposed to be Chicago or New York? No, it's supposed to be New York. <laughs> Someone just did not do their job properly. Or Netflix was like, no, let's lean in, guys. Let's really just go ham. I believe that because there is so much of this movie that only makes sense if you know that it is Netflix being so tongue-in-cheek that, like, <laughs> they're biting their own tongues off. But in case you missed it, The Christmas Prince is the story of Amber, a struggling journalist who is given an opportunity to visit the coronation of the soon to be king of Aldovia, a fictional Eastern European country. While there, it quickly becomes a uh, 
case of deception and mistaken identity as she convinces the royal family that she is not a journalist, but in fact a tutor to try and get scoops on the king, the king-to-be, while at the same time falling in love with him. Oh my god. No one expected this. No one could have ever expected this. There's duplicitous royal family members. There's a lot of... Oh, it's Christmas, Christmas in the countryside kind of stuff. And this is a vapid movie. Oh, it's completely brainless. Yes. And that's half of the basis of its appeal. In fact, when we sat down and watched this, five minutes in, we paused. And I said, okay, I need you to tell me which rom-com tropes this feeds into. And we actually wrote them down and it pretty much every one. Yeah. Because I just saw off the top of my head with no warning, I was like, oh, there's going to be a plucky sibling who is the prince's favorite sibling, and, and they're going to bond really well with our, our lead, Amber. So we have Emily. So we have Princess Emily. There's going to be some sort of athletics scene. Like I said, like a sports scene, mm-hmm. but... They have a snowball fight, which I think counts. They go sledding and have a snowball fight. Mm-hmm. You said there was going to be something embarrassing. Amber breaks like a Ming Dynasty era vase. Yep, yep. Um, I think one that I got wrong is I was like, oh, he's they're going to fall in love and then he's going to do something that makes him look like a complete shitbag. When in fact it was the other way around. She does something that makes her look like a complete shitbag. He's just adopted. He's just adopted. <laughs> and that throws the entire political spectrum of the country in for a loop for a minute. There's also a contrived love triangle triangle with another actual princess yep. who's his ex, uh, which you got on. And you also got the, I have every reason not to like you, but not know that it's you. So I'm going to tell it to your face. Oh, yes. Which Indeed. happens in our first 20 minutes. Yeah, because literally the first interaction between Amber and Prince Richard is at the airport where he jacks her cab and, like, totally cuts her in line. And she gets rightfully upset and he's like, "Ah, hey, what are you going to do? Be faster. Welcome to Aldovia, kid. You got to give those guys a ride. <laughs> and then cut to, like, five minutes later, she's talking out loud about how some dick at the airport totally stole her taxi and then turns around and it's him. Ta-da. Ta-da. The only one you were wrong about is the aggressive thirst from the female best friend. Yes. And she is thirsty for the prince, but it's not like, oh, come on, honey, get that D. It's like, yeah, he's cute. Well, and she's like, so the actress looks like discount store Natalie Dormer. Oh, no. And she's, like, the whole thing she does is just have, like, political machinations and is trying to make a a power grab and make herself queen. Because the moment it looks like somebody else is going to be king, she sidles up next to that person. Oh, no, no, the best friend is... You had suggested the best friend would have aggressive thirst. Ew. Who, as this, as we go into our favorite reoccurring segment, how did this not age well? The best friends are a token black woman and a token gay character. Yes. Social justice, one, two, three. I 
wanna be PC. It's just the way to be for me and you. And that's what they are. Like, they have no personality other than that. Yeah, it's just a lot of, oh, you go, girl. It's yeah. okay. You're going to get it, honey. We believe in you, Amber. We believe in you. I'm clearly gay. Here's a shot of me with a guy. Yeah. And, like, I want... A completely separate point is how weird the background extras are in this show, but in terms of people with speaking lines, the best friend is the only person of color we see actually talk. Yes. And everyone in this movie, as it should be in a ridiculous, silly rom-com, is a piece of cardboard. Yes. A total... Just predictable. You do not watch this movie if you want to have an intellectual moment. You watch this movie if you want to understand how Netflix started their weird MCU universe. Which is entirely based around, like, Christmas royalty romantic comedies of low value. But so this this is a entry into a particular subgenre that you and Alex actually introduced me to. Christmas trash. Can you explain this, what Christmas trash is? Christmas trash are movies that are loosely about Christmas, but are just bad. Right. So Netflix started doing this, um, actually with this movie, it, it started becoming popular, mm. but it skyrocketed. And suddenly Netflix was like, oh, we can do Lifetime better than Lifetime because yes. millennials can stream it. That's what it is. It is Lifetime Entertainment Channel yes. quality. Yes, and they're all like weirdly inter um, interrelational and they all reference each other. So for example, in um, A Night for Christmas, A Christmas Night, The Christmas Night. I think it's A Night for Christmas, which is the first one of these movies you guys ever showed me. Okay, so it's true, it's true Christmas trash, but on the TV in Vanessa Hudgens' apartment where the Christmas night is staying, Christmas Prince is playing on the TV. Right. And Vanessa Hudgens herself is in A Night for Christmas, or A Night Before Christmas, and is also the lead in, like, a trilogy of movies set in the same universe wherein she plays it's a princess and a pauper situation the princess switch exactly mm -hmm. so she is like somebody who looks exactly like vanessa hudgens is multiple people in this universe mm -hmm. spanning across different movies mm -hmm. the the country names keep popping up in different places there is a trilogy of christmas prince movies which i mean maybe they'll go on the christmas list just because that means... No. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and I, I should correct myself. Apologies. Uh, night for Christmas or Christmas night or Christmas of a night or whatever isn't what's playing on the TV. What's actually playing on the TV is Christmas in the wild. And at some point, the main character in the Christmas night is hanging a ornament and mentions that's from your aunt what's her name oh, i have no idea the leader amber. amber amber she's so forgettable that's from your aunt amber in aldovia mm, okay. so it's like 
is just tossed away and it's just Netflix being like, Because <laughs> it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of surface level connection, but it's the kind of thing that like, maybe you're a bored housewife. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're just bored in general. I'm not going to put the housewife moniker on there. Maybe you're just bored and you watch one of these and all of a sudden you get interested in like drawing the connections with the other one. And there are, there is a, a, a Charlie in the mailroom level scatter plot of connections to be made amongst <laughs> these films. I, I'm not ready. I don't want to make you give up anything, Amber. I could never leave my father. I can give him his own wing at the palace. Or I could buy him his own diner in Aldovia. But to your point about Amber being forgettable, so this stars Rose McIver and Ben Lamb. And the only thing I've ever seen Rose McIver in is a CW show called iZombie, which was like peak 2009, mm-hmm. wherein she plays a like graduate student mortician who becomes a zombie, but, like, is still plucky and quirky and fun, but, like, also does have to eat brains to survive. How unfortunate. And so that is a switch in in, in and of itself to go from, like, oh, there's a Hot Topic shirt with your face on it to Christmas Princess, Christmas Queen, Queen of Netflix Christmasdom. (laughs) Well, and I will say that people became really obsessed with this movie. When it was released, Netflix actually tweeted, hey, to the person who has watched A Christmas Prince 17 days in a row, are you okay? And it turns out it was like some woman who was like healing from a breakup and just wanted something they could watch and not think. Oh, good, 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 good. Okay. good that there's media for people where they can just be like, I just want to put something on and escape. Fair. And that's what Christmas Prince is. It is a lovely piece of trash. Actually, um, the Daily Beast wrote an article called Why is Everyone Obsessing Over Netflix's A Christmas Prince? It's basically royalty porn for dummies. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Because halfway through the movie, I turned to you and was like, okay, how much of this film franchise, how much of this was just based off a loose psychic zeitgeist desire to fuck prince harry a lot a hell of a lot because that's that's what this gives you the other actor ben lamb he's vaguely prince harry looking down to the receding hairline down to the receding hairline i i i posit he looks like if you took army hammer and mike berbiglia and just smashed them together really fast <laughs> I'm looking at a side profile at his face right now, and it really, I see the Burbigs in yeah, there, so it makes absolutely. me very happy. <laughs> but yeah, he's just there to be like, oh, a terribly charming prince who, like, is acting, everybody thinks he's got a bad thing going on, but he's really just a sweet soul of a thing, but he's got problems, but they're not real problems. His dad died, dude. <laughs> Okay, fair. That one's a real problem. <laughs> His dad died. The reason he left the country was he was like, I have to deal with my grief. Well, I was more thinking about how like his problem is like, oh, I have to become king. I have to become king. My father was literally perfect at it. I wasn't expecting to be king right now. You know, 
like the crown is about how Lizzie <laughs> didn't expect to be queen right then. Well, I would argue that's not a real problem in Liz for Lizzie either. All my, right. my point is uh, the mm. I'm going to make you king by surprise one day and see how you like it. Okay, perfect. King of the <laughs> king of the crypt. <laughs> I also want to point out there's some actual commentary that could go so much further here sure so like yeah the, he has real problems his little sister has worse problems yes which gets us to princess emily played by honor knife c i'm gonna say that's how you say it a totally able-bodied person a totally able-bodied person playing a character with spina bifida who is in either a wheelchair or crutches the entire time she is on screen. Is consistently infantilized. Is consistently infantilized. Is like a fun character. Is the plucky sister who is the prince's favorite and only sibling. This movie works so much better as a buddy cop movie between Amber and Princess Emily. <laughs> Correct. And... It is such a, I don't know the answer, this is really gray thing mm -hmm. to say, is it better or worse to have a character with a disability played by an actor who does not have that disability? Could they have found an actor actually suffering from spina bifida who could have done just as good of a job? Probably. Is it better than not having the character... Is it better than just not having characters who are disabled because you're lazy? I don't know. What I do know is that it is exploitative as all hell to have sad, oh, poor her music every time Emily is on screen and talking about how, like, I have real problems. Well, and also she says multiple times, like, it's just, I'm so broken. Like... She thinks that about herself, right. but they wrote it to be that way. Which, again, if you are watching this for royalty porn, oh, how, oh, I feel so terrible for this one character, and she's so, she's so brave, and she's not broken, and now I feel better because I thought that. Kind of like how there are two members of the royal family who are mentally unwell and are put in a mental institution and we don't talk about them well i was about to say kind of not like that <laughs> because that is that is some real shit that the uh the house of windsor did yep but i i the point i think i'm making is that it's like trotting princess emily out for the story yes and for the representation, but not actually going far enough to do the work of representation. Absolutely. And and not even, not caring about the point of representation because it's enough for you to pay some lip service to it because nobody in theory is going to be like watching this and calling you out on it anyway in the same way that they're not going to call out how there is a single character of color. Netflix actually did get into some trouble over that. Really? Yeah, over, um, sorry, to be specific, Princess Emily, there was a lot of backlash focused on Netflix and specifically that actress for taking the role. You know what? Fair. 
So there is that. Give it for what it's worth. But we also have other things that haven't aged well that are just also there as well. So I, I think it's worth it to say Netflix could have done a better job here. Right. Absolutely. We have a schmalsy prince who goes to kiss Amber without consent twice. Twice! But it's okay because one time it's in his what is clearly his fuck cabin. His fuck hunting cabin. His fuck hunting cabin in the middle of the woods because he like saved her from a wolf. But it's okay because then he reads her his dad's poetry, which never has that ever worked for anyone. I, I do like the take that like because he's a royal, there's the insular upbringing therein, and he just, he has literally no game. Oh, no. Like, he thinks this is working because his only, like, source of comparison is the Lady Sophia, who was going to, like, be the perfect girlfriend as long as she thought it was going to get her the queen queendom. Well, and Amber doesn't have any game either because Amber just, like, turns down every dude her best friend sets her up with. This is true. Even before the prince, for some reason, after this whole thing, comes to New York to find Amber, to propose to her. Somehow he knows where she works. Don't know how. She turns down a date with a perfectly lovely guy for the idea of this prince maybe in this entirely other country so that she can work New Year's Eve with her dad. And speaking of her dad, thank you for segging into that. Yeah. Amber's dad, Rudy, is so much. He's so much. He looks like he's murdered people. He absolutely looks like he's murdered people. He's like, he's an incredibly supportive dad. So give him that. That's true. But in a in a film where you have so many characters who are supposed to be vaguely Eastern European, so many extras who live in Aldovia and absolutely 100% look like they just came off the streets of Venice Beach or like just from an L.A. casting call playing these people, you then have Rudy, whose ethnicity is never made clear, but is doing, like, an accent of a, a Russian-born person trying to put on a New York accent. Exactly. It's like, Russian has heard of the Rat Pack yeah. before once. Like, grew up watching Goodfellas while they lived in St. Petersburg and then moved to New York and made a diner. <laughs> and also was, like, a hit person for the Odessa mob or something. Oh, yeah, no. He's definitely shed some blood and then afterwards, like, wiped it from his face and been like, well, that's over with <laughs> Exactly. Also, has a diner called Rudy's, which... For the very first thing we see in a movie called A Christmas Prince is a diner called Rudy's. I spent the entire movie waiting for some sort of Rudolph-based payoff to get nothing. I feel like Netflix tried and then someone in the writer's room was like, no, nah, that's too much. We can't be that hokey. Well, and because, like, think about it, there is no actual Christmas stuff 
about this film other than the decor. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like they knew if we make it about Christmas, we lose potentially a lot of viewers from people who don't celebrate Christmas. So the movie itself isn't going to be Christmas. But if we say the Happy Holidays, Prince, then we're going to lose the portion of our Netflix audience that, like, gets uptight about that sort of thing. So we've got to call it a Christmas Prince, but it's not actually going to be anything about Christmas other than all the pretty Christmas decorations that people will look at and go, oh, well. Why me? You're talented, hungry, smart, and none of my regular writers can go this week. That is the point of Christmas trash, Andy. It has nothing. It is really terrible movies that have this much to do with the holiday season. Sure. And this much to do with being a trash fire movie that makes no sense, that should be on Lifetime, but Netflix went, ah, ha, 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 we got there first. Yeah, it's really cornered that market. And December 1st, every year, my husband and I will make dinner together and then sit down. And like the five-year-old he is, he will bounce on our couch and chant over and over, Christmas trash, Christmas trash. <laughs> and there's no, that that happens every year. There's no undoing it. Sure. Which I, I dearly appreciate. <laughs> it's very, it's very dear. <laughs> But I think that's why it's so consistently definable and like easy to be around is because it's not actually about Christmas. It's about the feelings you get around Christmas. Sure, which I I do think that fact in and of itself is applaudable. But then to like kind of hedge your bets and say, but we're going to call it a Christmas Prince. It seems like you're just trying to get both sides without letting the other one know. It is the time in our annual Christmas episode where we get to have this fight. So how is that different from Die Hard? (laughs) Die Hard is quite literally the opposite in that they never really draw attention to the fact that it's Christmas. Like... Nobody, nobody who was making Die Hard was trying to make it a Christmas movie. It was a bunch of probably white dudes who look like me one year deciding that, you know what? This is not Christmas trash and I don't want to watch Christmas trash. This is a loophole, though, that I can exploit. I suppose my answer is it, it, the marketing. The marketing and the intention therein. <clears throat> okay. So what you're saying is because it's marketed to men and men who look like you, it's totally fine that it's a Christmas movie, but not a Christmas movie. But when it's marketed I not, to... I have not been on my Die Hard as a Christmas movie bullshit for a minute, thank you. It's just there waiting inches underneath your skin. And I know it's just going to happen at some point, so I might as well fucking accept it. Well, you say that except, like, ever since I saw the movie Klaus, that has become, like, the movie that every Christmas I have to watch. Mm-hmm. It's that and the Christmas episodes of Futurama. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel, like, I feel like that's enough. I feel like any person should only have, like, 
one or two things that they sit here and go, no, these are what must be done in the holiday season. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently whichever piece of Christmas trash Alex Danes we have to watch this year. Yes, absolutely. So, I, no, I, the, the point is I am absolutely in agreement with your point. Mm-hmm. But... I will say um, the adoption point for our main male character is a complete random left turn. Yes, it's it's there to cause some light conflict. Yes, and it gets it gets brought up so late in the second act that by the time it's revealed and then resolved, it's all happening within the same 20 minutes. He's adopted. We found out he was adopted. Oh wait, no, but it's okay because our dead king rewrote the rules that because he's adopted, he can still be the king, which feels, you know, self-serving, but it's I mean, it does, and like this is this is literally a tight ninety. Yeah, so I guess there wasn't much wiggle room. Yeah, like thirty minutes of that tight ninety have to be the setup. Another thirty minutes have to be like the simmering romance, and also shots of people walking around, and there's a Christmas tree and lights in the background, which only left you thirty minutes for like the rest of the plot. <laughs> Five of which had to be the ending. Five of which had to be the ending. I am mad that more of it was not the makeover. Because if you're oh, going to yeah. do a fucking makeover scene. And they do like the makeover. They do the makeover where she walks in the room and suddenly everyone's like. <gasps> it's the, the oh, she wears glasses and a ponytail. I'm not taking her to prom. I'm going to take her to prom. Snap. She's beautiful. It's that makeover. Only it's for a Christmas coronation party. Which, that feels like a lot going on theme-wise. Like, Christmas and coronation? That's what I'm saying! That's a little tacky. Separate the two. Come on, y'all. Well, they were already like, Vanessa Hudgens has the royalty porn Netflix MCU movie that is not related to the holidays. So, like, we gotta throw a holiday one in there somehow. Oh, no, the Princess Switch is Christmas-related. Oh, God, is it? Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't think I'm ever gonna watch it, so... <laughs> I feel like they, maybe I'm misquoting, I feel like they all have something to do with Christmas. And, and you know what, I actually wouldn't be surprised about that. I just, I was expecting this to be like something where everyone has Christmas in the title. Mm, you know what, that makes sense. The latest one is A Castle for Christmas, where they pulled Brooke Shields and Carrie Elways, which is like, not, not a get. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of want to watch that one. That should be our Christmas trash this year. Uh, you know what? I will agree with it. <laughs> Speaking of not not a get, there's nowhere else to really talk about it. The queen of, An- what, what is it, Andolia, Angoria? Aldovia. Uh, Aldovia. Um, the queen of Aldovia is played by the indomitable Alice Krieg, who I mentioned at the end of the last episode, the only thing I knew... <laughs> Is that Alice Krieg is famous for playing the Borg Queen in Star Trek. 
Specifically, Star Trek First Contact, the movie, the movie about the Borgs, the, the one that theoretically the most people have seen. And it is so hard to separate one of the like most chilling villains in sci-fi from a random character who is like, she's like a nice queen. She's like a good queen. Uh, she's a little strict. She's a little hard on both her kids. She's a little hard on both her kids, but also, like, when there is a moment for her to be completely, like, brutally strict, like, she catches how all of them skipped out on Emily's math lesson to go have a snowboard fight and go sledding. A snowboard fight? That's intense. That is intense. A snowball fight and go sledding. She's like, don't do this shit again without telling me. Also, good job. I'm glad my daughter's happy. Don't do this shit without telling me because I, too, am pretty good at snowboard fighting. I can throw a snowboard at your head like nobody's business. I was what's-her-face on Starter Trek. I can throw a snowboard so hard. Yes. <laughs> Did I do it right? Did I do the thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> I digress because that's the only place in here to really mention that. But it was one of my only, like points coming in so that's you know what that's fair i will also say the uh queen wears purple velour at some point and nobody rocks purple velour like queen alice green <laughs> velour is just something like you there's no hiding that it's velour you see it and you know ah yes that is velour they're wearing there <laughs> i I actually can't pull up velour in my mind. It's the one that looks kind of like you're wearing a towel, right? Well, it's the one that looks kind of like you're wearing shiny, silky, soft. Like you look at it and you go, that's soft. I can tell how soft that is by looking at it. You seem rather fascinated with my brother. I heard people say you didn't want to give up your lifestyle. What lifestyle is that? I don't know. Women, wine, and song. So speaking of other wardrobe choices in this movie, um, Amber's engagement ring <laughs> is a lot, even for a royal. Like, that thing could poke someone's eye out. I, I think I said it's a damn infinity stone. It is! It's huge! The ways in which the Aldovian royal family shows and does not show that they're royalty are very interesting. Because there's a moment where Prince Richard is able to shoot an arrow through the palace windows. So I like made a note of like, okay, we're not royal enough that we have bulletproof glass in our windows. <laughs> but then at the end, he pulls out the literal rock for the engagement ring. And it's like, okay, we're royal enough that you got that, though. He's royal enough he's got a Ming vase, but royal enough that it's not a problem when my soon-to-be wife knocks it over on accident. Oh, you know. As you do. As you do. We've talked about it a lot. And, like, the thing that I walked away from this movie most interested to really look into is the geography. Oh, God. Okay. Go on. So this, this is in the fictional nation of Aldovia. Sure. Created for Netflix. And I was sitting here being like, oh, this is like... This is like Genovia. This is like mm -hmm. the country from A Princess Bride. This is like... Or not The Princess Bride. It's like Genovia. It's like that country from The Princess Diaries. 
Um, and, and, and I was sitting here being like, okay, if this is like something where it's like, oh, it's like the size of Luxembourg. It's like, it's really more of a city, but we call it a country. Okay, no, no, no. In the same article where I like looked through all of these Netflix Christmas movie universe connections, there is in the film Christmas Inheritance, there is an actual map of Aldovia and also Belgravia, Penglia, and like a bunch of the created for Netflix countries. And here's the thing. It is literally they remade Eastern Europe. Like everything farther than the middle of Germany is completely a different country. In the universe, in the, in the world of this film, there is no Poland, there is no Croatia, there is none of the Balkan nations, there is no Austria. And this is the most exciting news I can think of for discussion about this film because I immediately begged the question and I think it begs the question I need to know what Aldovia's stance was during World War II I need to know if it was taken over by the USSR I need to know if it was part of the Ottoman Empire in World War One. so when you turn 60 what I'm getting you for a present is like a personalized subscription to the History Channel yeah, fair. You are going to be that old man. Oh, to be fair, I would eat up. I would watch an entire series that is like the political histories of made-up countries. That sounds awesome. But like, this, uh, I want to know, so did this play in Netflix in the Czech Republic? In which like, it literally is overlapping this country. Did anybody care? Did anybody notice? I think it had an international release. I, I'm sure it had to have. It's just, it is something that like literally breaks my brain in half. Just because I was sitting here like, yeah, no, this is somewhere in the Balkans. Because at the risk of sounding jingoistic, I feel like that is an area of the world where it is easier than others to just like say like oh yeah there's a little country nestled in there well it's because the countries are so small right so especially in the american education system where we're not really taught about what happens east of i don't know maybe greece yeah beyond seventh grade like you learn about you have a greek unit you have a japanese unit you have you learn a little bit about the Chinese dynasties long enough to understand how the Great Wall was made. And I think that's it as far as public education goes. So it's pretty easy to be an American and be like, ah, there's, isn't the city where the Pope lives a fucking country? <laughs> right. So why not Aldovia or Schmanovia or what, Genovia? Aldovia. Aldovia. You got it right the first time. I was just letting you Schmanovia, you Shmanovia. let me go with Schmanovia. Listen, Schmanovia is a proud regency and has a, a <laughs> storied history of fighting the Nazis. <laughs> Good for Schmanovia. But yeah, just the idea of like this this 
this exists in a world in which World War I doesn't happen and we don't have hundreds of years of strife in the Balkan nations and instead they become one giant country called Aldovia. Like, just, it is fun to think of what must also be for this to be true. Maybe that's why Prince Richard is so upset about having to be king. He's like, this is so much land. I have to rule now. Yeah. You know who would be really good at ruling that much land? (laughs) The king of our hearts, Kevin Bacon. The king of our hearts, Kevin Bacon. Fair enough. So in every episode of Cult Fiction, we like to play the game... Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yes, I was trying to... We like to play the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Andy, how can you connect this movie to Kevin Bacon? So, like I mentioned, the person who, at a glance, I was most interested in watching new stuff was Dame Alice Krieg. And Alice Krieg is in a film called See You in the Morning with Jeff Bridges. And Jeff Bridges is in one of the most preposterously bad movies of recent memory, R.I.P.D., with Kevin Bacon. I love that for you. Thank you. That is how I did it. How did you come up with it? Uh, So I was also able to do it in two because Rose McIver is in Brightest Star with Clark Gregg. And Clark Gregg is in The Air I Breathe with Kevin Bacon. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good for Clark Gregg. I literally have never seen anything he's done except for Marvel stuff. (laughs) That's... That's fair. Mm-hmm. Speaking of who else we didn't see, can I tell you my Oscar? Yes, please. Yeah. Because every movie deserves an Oscar, and this one is no exception. Even Christmas Trash deserves a couple of Oscars. That is our our thesis statement here on Cult Fiction. My Oscar for Christmas Prince goes to Richard Astin from Disappearing Out. Okay. We see him in the first 10 minutes where Amber is in Aldovia as Mr. Little, who's, I guess, like the house butler. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. And then he never shows up again. You're right. Because the only person related that we ever see is like the major domo, the Tommy Lassels of Aldovia. Mrs. Avril. Mrs. Avril. Yeah, but there's a whole thing where there's Mr. Little, and I guess he's like the Mr. Bates, like the Downton Abbey version. He's the nice one. He's like, he's the big scary guy who has like a heart of gold. Oh, I didn't care enough about this movie to realize he disappeared halfway through, but now that you've brought it to my attention, I, I mourn that. Yeah, he's, I'm sure he's in the background somewhere chilling out, but he literally does not show up for the rest of the movie. Sure. I, if memory serves, I think he's in the sequels. And I think there's like spoilers for a older than three-year-old franchise. Um, I think there's like a thing later between him and Mrs. Avril where they're like, yeah, we might as well fuck because we live in the same castle and what other romantic interests are we going to get? Might as well just do, do each other. Good. 
good, good, I guess. Good, good for them. Good for them getting All right. some. All right. Yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? Well, there's no way we'll ever know because these sequels are not going on to the Absolutely list. Absolutely not. No, thank okay. you. With that established, though, it is time for me to say my Oscar, which I almost did not do. I almost <laughs> went straight to the list. Uh, my Oscar for A Christmas Prince. I, I talked about it a little bit before, but the most interesting background actors. Sure. And, like, truly, like, I, I am perplexed, maybe more than I should be, by this, this movie was filmed in Romania. It, it was filmed where Aldovia would be, which is just maddening to me. <laughs> I learned in watching this that parts of Romania look like Vale, look like Banff, Canada, look like these just look not what I would expect Romania to look like, which is maybe a thing on me. Equally on me, the extras, like seriously, like there's there's the scene where it's the, the Aldovian Supreme Court and there's this one woman who, like, they keep painting to her face, who is very clearly of some sort of Asian descent, but is, like, one of the Supreme Council people of Aldovia, which there is nothing wrong with in and of itself. But there's, you know, there's all these white people. More than that, there are people who, like, have, like, toxic pink dyed hair that are just, like, in the party. There's so many people who look like they work for Disney Cruise Lines <laughs> and are presented as like minor royalty of the region or or upper upper crust society of Aldovia, and it's just enough for me to look around and be like, this is what, this is this doesn't make sense. So what I'm hearing is you're mad that ro all Romanians don't look like they're vampires. I'm not even mad about it. And I'm not saying that, no. If anything, I'm mad that, like, if I had not researched anything, I would have been like, this movie was clearly filmed in Vale, and they clearly got a bunch of, like, L.A. hippie dancer types to come be extras. When in actuality, Netflix used its Netflix money, and this was filmed across the globe, which presumably means that the extras are a bunch of, like, Eastern European punk club people. And they deserve an Oscar for my jingoism. Putting in notes, Andy is mad. All Romanians <laughs> don't look like bam. Got it. We've seen enough vampire movies on this list that I have moved beyond such primitive and offensive notions. I appreciate that. So we can agree that vampires are cult, but is a Christmas prince cult? Yes. I mean, I I actually did not look at the box office because it's Netflix and it's very hard to sure. ascertain a, a financial value and whether or not this actually made any money. But just the fact that, like, if it didn't start its own cross-referential movie subgenre, mm -hmm. at the very least, it is the tentpole thing therein. Yeah, I agree. For this movie to appear in the background of another movie, and that fact to be, like, 
something people talk about excitedly at, at the water cooler. And the fact that some woman watched it 17 days in a row. Indeed. I think makes it cult. Yeah. <laughs> well, will our next movie be cult? Will it be cult? There's only one way to find out, be it cult or vampire or Christmas again. Spoiler, it won't be that one because I've got all the Christmas lists cordoned off into their own separate list. But Appreciate you, friend. I do still have a list from the Hollywood Crypt that we will pick from of 277 movies. Like every other time on Cult Fiction, we are putting our fate in the hands of the Hollywood Crypt to tell us what we want to watch next. And what the Crypt wants us to watch next is number 94 out of 277. And number 94 <laughs> is the uh, Christopher Guest indie comedy Waiting for Guffman. So I recently showed you Best of Show which is the other Christopher Guest, one of the other Christopher Guest mockumentary comedies, and you did not like it. It was fine. So this is one of the other ones. Yay. Get ready for lots of Eugene Levy. Oh, I'm fine with him. He's lovely. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time as we attempt to mount a play about the history of this podcast and await with anticipation the arrival of a famous Broadway critic. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell. Take that again. This is like Genovia. This is like the country from. Um, you want to take it a third time? What's that fucking Anne Hathaway movie? I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs>